Good morning. Welcome to Sabbath School. My name is Wendell Moses, and I really welcome your uh, contributions because it's not a class without uh, responses. Um, I was very thankful for Russell's introduction to Lesson Guide last week. On two occasions, my car was headed this direction, but on each occasion, my beeper went off, and um, I headed a different direction. So I watched it on YouTube, and it was a blessing to watch it on YouTube. It wasn't as good as being here in person. But it was helpful. Watching it on another day, I have to say that it vindicated my wife's frequent comment to me. At the end of many classes, she will say, See, if you have just kept your tongue, someone else would have made your comment. (laughs) That was very evident last week. I had marked up my lesson study guide with all comments and everything else. And as a listening, I'd go through and most of them were covered. So, um... Thank you for that. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word. We thank you for what you have given to us in your written word, with your spirit, and also with our daily walk. May we honor you. Be with us today. Be with all the members of the class, either here or watching online or at a later date. Send your spirit, be with these words, may we um, speak of you, may we know how to speak well of you. Amen. In Russell's discussion last week, it talked about various laws in Christ's time. And one big gap that I saw in that discussion was the term law and prophets. Now it does very briefly in this week's lesson on Thursday, mention a text with it. And let's turn to Matthew five, seventeen through 20. And I'd like to at least start out the lesson today talking about this term, law and prophets. Um, Matthew five seventeen through 20. The reason I want to bring it up is because many times this, this text has been uh, read to me with the statement that Christ upheld the Ten Commandments, and this is their proof text that this is what's happened. Okay? So, this is the English Standard Version. You can read from whatever version you have. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, here he describes the law and the prophets. He's not trying to to destroy the law and the prophets. Matthew 7.12, the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Matthew 11.13, the law and the prophets prophesied until John. Matthew 22.40, he's talking about the two great commandments. You know, love the Lord the God with all the heart, with all the soul, with all the spirit. And then the second one is like to it, love thy neighbor as thyself. And after he finishes this, It says, on these two commandments 
hang all the law and the prophets. In Luke 24, 27, when Christ is on the road to Emmaus, he, um, he says, are you that foolish? Have you not read the writings of Moses and the prophets? Um, in Luke 24, 43, in that same chapter, he has now um, demonstrated himself to the disciples up in the upper room, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So, the law is the first five books. The prophets is pretty much the rest of the Old Testament in some divisions. Okay? Now, I have the Jewish Bible, um, Tanakh, or however pronounce it, I don't know how you pronounce it. Tanakh sounds good enough to me. Anyway, it's the Jewish Publication Society is their um, translation, English translation of the Jewish scriptures. And you turn up into the first pages, and it has the divisions. Now, it has the divisions in Hebrew, and I, that's okay. I won't, write, I won't try. I won't humiliate myself any more than that. But it has divided into the Torah, the five books of Moses, the prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the twelve minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and then the writings, Psalms, Proverbs, etc. It was with some consternation a few years ago that I found, I realized that Daniel, one of the books that I consider to be a prophetic book to the Jewish people, is a writing. It's a poetic idealized storybook, etc. And yet we would have put it in the major prophets if we had to, to do that. Um, so, um, I would just like to um, acknowledge that there is this law, which we, I mean, I don't know how many times I've been told, see, Christ upheld the law because he upheld the law and the prophets. If, the, if you include the Ten Commandments as being contained in the Old Testament, yes. He, he said the law and the prophets will not be done away with until all is fulfilled. But that statement is about the writings. It's not about the law and the prophets. Does it make sense? So, anyway... Um, I guess that's a bee in my bonnet, but anyway. Um, all right. Going, starting with the class, uh, the, the lesson. Um, oops. Um, panic. All right. Um, the lesson guide this week is trying to direct us to the study of the ceremonial laws and the laws given by Moses to the children of Israel, continued down until the, essentially the end of the um, Roman era. Um, 
In starting that, that discussion, I would like to turn to Galatians. Galatians 3.19. It's a, t- a, a text that we often read in the, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, what then was the purpose of the law? It was added in order to show what wrongdoing is and was meant to last until the coming of Abraham's descendant, to who the promise was made. The law was handed down by angels with a man acting as a go-between. Just want to ask you a few questions about this. What was added? The Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments were added. Anything else? What else was added? What law was added? Ceremonial law. Okay. Every law that was given after creation. Wouldn't it be? Yeah. I mean, everything that God told them to do, in addition to love your neighbor, love God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. So, divorce law, ceremonial laws... Ten Commandments. Hygiene laws. Hygiene laws. How do we know what was added? You have to go back to what was first original. And what was that? The law of unselfishness. The law of self-sacrificing love. Was that given? No. That's God himself. It just was. Okay. And separate those two. Okay. So, um... When were the added parts added? Yes. Wasn't every law added? Okay. So if every law was added, when was it added? Okay. So why was it added? If you say sin, why was it added? Why was the the Ten Commandments given when the Ten Commandments were given? And why was the divorce law given when the divorce law was given? And why was the circumcision law given when the circumcision law was given? Yes? Because before sin, we had the capacity to grasp love. But after sin, we were so changed, we didn't have the capacity to fully understand what love looked like. Okay, so... But why, why didn't he give it all at once? Why didn't Abraham get the full law? I guess I like to look at the law that God gave Moses on the, uh, the Ten Commandments. That was written by him. Okay. Um, the laws of Moses were written by Moses. So I have those two distinctions. However, later on, even though these were given in what we would consider their fullness, Jesus still corrects them and he amplifies them. He refines them. Uh, Matthew 5 through 7 is a refinement of the Ten Commandments of the law of God around tables of stone. The law of divorcement that Jesus talked about, that was corrected. The 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 law of God versus what the law of, of what the law that Moses said 
as far as divorcement. So there was continual refinement going on, and hopefully the refinement that Jesus gave it was maybe simpler and yet in more harmony with what we call the natural law. Okay. I like what he said, and I prefer refinement to correction. We just had our first, well, we didn't, but our daughter just gave us our first granddaughter a few weeks ago. And her dad is a lover of math. And he is so excited to introduce her to the science of math. He can hardly stand it. When he starts out with her, he's going to be talking to her in whole numbers and in concepts of one, two, three, four, and five. If he started talking to her about negative numbers right from the beginning, it wouldn't make any sense to her, and she'd be terribly confused. But there is going to be a refinement of her understanding of the concept of math when he introduces negative numbers to her. And then when he introduces calculus... It's going to be a super refinement. But he couldn't give that to her when she's two or three or four, but he could start talking to her about math concepts early on. I don't know. I haven't talked to Noah or Methuselah or Enoch or any of these other giants pre-Noarchian world. I have not talked to any of the people who were right after the flood. Okay. My suspicion is that they were a little smarter than me. Okay? So, and yet, when you look at the record, the record is going in the opposite direction. I mean, using your illustration of a baby. Now, I understand your illustration more than you understand, I think, because my son was over with his uh, fiance at our house this week, and he had his textbook out. Now he's doing, I said, what are you studying? He says, D-E. D-E, what's D-E? Differential equations, okay? And differential equations is something that I have no, you know, I read his first three problems. I knew what a capacitor was. And I knew what I, I think it was an ohm or something else was. But that was the entire two words that I understand in the whole three paragraphs that he had for the first three problems. You know, and so I understand that there is a growth in, in mathematics and whatnot. But it seems that my world is filled with evolution. Okay? And almost, I think, our theology has incorporated evolution. These poor... Oh, I almost said bastards, but I mean, these, these poor, uneducated, backward people had, had, um, simple concepts given to them, and then they got better concepts, and now our enlightened minds have better concepts. However, when we look back at what Ellen White says about the garden, even Adam didn't understand it, and he was light years his mind was light years above where mine is. So if, if he was light years above yours, then why didn't God tell him all about the law? Because we're physical beings, and we have to develop a vocabulary 
to express thoughts and ideas through. Yes. The law was never given until or written down until after these people came out of slavery. You didn't give this to Methuselah and Enoch as far as we know. Okay. Um, in the back. Mindset, Sorry. People. Okay. In the back. God's law was given from the very beginning, and it was given in the character of Jesus Christ. And so we can we can we can say that the law, in its significance, is to be found only in Christ. Okay. What if you looked at the written law as the development of diagnostic tools as we deteriorated more and more into sin and we help us to understand our situation better and it's like a development of diagnostic tools over the years? Yeah, I I think about my career in medicine. Um, When I started medicine, they did not have MRI scans. Okay? And... um, um, my diagnostic skills as trying to figure out what I had depended much more, and you, you still see it. I teach residents, and to me, the history of, of what someone comes in and tells me is the most important thing that I have, okay? And yet, for many of my residents that I'm trying to bring along, the most important thing they have is something electronic that they see on the monitor. And I think there's a current there's a current pushback about the cost of medicine and whatnot, and that we shouldn't be ordering so many MRI scans. But right now, under the current medical legal climate, if an MRI scan is not ordered on your child when he's hurt in the football game, there is potentials to pay, and so there's a it's, there's an automatic. You know, if I people come into me for a, a opinion as far as what's wrong with their child, who have three MRI scans and no X-rays and no record of an exam anywhere, a physical exam, and it's like really, you know. Um, so anyway, yes, in the back. There's a couple online listeners. Uh, one of them says, uh, treat the symptoms while you cure the disease. And another one makes a comment, God's law never changes, but meets the needs of the people when needed. And I think that's true from the day of Adam on down to us. Okay, I'm not d- denying that. I'm just wondering about the sequence of law giving. Um, uh, in Christ's description of the divorce law, he said it was added due to transgressions. Okay? It's interesting that he uses the very same terminology when he's commenting to the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders about when he went into the synagogue and there was a man with a withered hand. And he says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath, and they all, and he kind of sternly, you know, said, you know, that they were hypocrites in this, in essence, and then he healed the man, and they went out 
to convene to plan to kill him. Okay? And so he used that same terminology about them of hardness of their heart and transgressions about that we have in the other comment that he talked about the divorce. Um, so if it was added, if all these laws were added, are they imposed laws or natural laws? I like that. Extensions of the original law. But sometimes extensions means additional requirements. And I'm not certain they're additional requirements. There's verbal description of the law. Right. They're, they're, they're explanations of what the law really means. It's like Christ said, you have two laws, and then you have the entire body of the Old Testament as an explanation for those two laws. So, um, In a way, though, it's imposed, right? I don't know how it can be imposed. Well, Tim's example, when you're, you know, when you're, child is really young and you tell them if they don't brush their teeth they're not going to get to you know have a story or whatever that is imposed right ah that is imposed at a, at a given time and I'll, I'll come to that i i, I want to explore that a little bit more more deeply okay um in this class we have a quotation that's been given several times um to, uh Russell read it last week from Patriarchs and Prophets 364. Um, if man had kept the law of God as given to Adam after his fall, preserved by Noah, observed by Abraham, there would have been no necessity for the ordinance of circumcision. And if the descendants of Abraham had kept the covenant of which circumcision was a sign, they would never have been seduced into idolatry, nor would it have been necessary for them to suffer a line of bond- life of bondage in Egypt. They would have kept God's law in mind, and there would have been no necessity for it to be proclaimed from Sinai or engraved upon the tables of stone. And had the people practiced the principles of the Ten Commandments, there would have been no need for additional directions given to Moses. What do you understand those additional directions to be? What were the additional directions? There would have been no need for the ceremonial laws either. Okay, the ceremonial laws. Which ceremonial laws would have been necessary to have been given a law for divorce? No. Okay. Were these additional directions that God gave to the children of Israel natural or foundational or imposed? They were imposed, but the results of not abiding by them is natural. Maybe the law was a, was an artificial way of helping people understand natural law. Maybe those laws. Okay. You mentioned um, the, the Tim's illustration for brushing your teeth. Okay. Um, are, is the law proscriptive or descriptive? Descriptive. Is it not proscriptive? As well. Isn't it both? I'll give you two illustrations. One of a negative law. My family, when I was growing up, my father had a very strict rule that I could not use tobacco of any form. 
To my knowledge, none of the four of us children ever tried smoking tobacco during the first 20 years of our lives. Okay? When we're under his influence, when we're under my father's influence, I don't think a single one of us tried to smoke. Now, I think my brother tried to smoke corn silk or something out from the garden, you know. But, you know, that didn't work well, you know. But to my knowledge, um, you know, we never tried tobacco. Does okay? under his influence mean when he could still punish us? Right. Okay. Okay. So, you know, and that's a kind of a negative thing. He said, no, you cannot do it. And it was, it was prohibitive or whatever. But, you know, every day when I work, I work downtown at a, a large hospital. And every day when I go into work, I, I, go pa- I pass through what I call the ring of fire. Um, it's against the law to smoke in the hospital. It's against the law to, now to smoke on the property of the hospital. But there are those individuals who are addicted to um, smoking, and they stand at parts unknown, preferably to the cops or the local whatever enforcement entity, and um, they smoke. And so where I park, I go up the stairwell, which is hidden from sight, and it is filled with, um, with smoke. You know, I have never once been tempted to ask one of those guys for a cigarette. It just hasn't entered my mind to do that. Okay? All right. I'd like to use a, a, um, a, another rule or law that I have in my life. Okay? Um, the law of sleep. When I was young... My parents had certain laws, rules, about when I had to go to bed. And and another rule about when I had to stop talking. And another rule when I had to stop bothering my brothers. Okay? Now, as I went through my life, my parents' restrictions on when I had to go to sleep or go to bed were replaced by societal Rules. So I went to a boarding academy. Lights were turned off at 10 o'clock. Um, when I went on camping trips, uh, there were enforced um, rules about when you had to shut up and lay down and stay in your tent and all those sort of things. Okay. Now I have a rule about when I have to go to sleep. Not because someone is telling me of it, but over the period of my life, I have learned when I have to go to sleep. Now, my job keeps me from going to sleep many times, but that's a different story. Uh, I have rule that is part of me that is a positive. I want to go to sleep. When a certain time of day comes, that's, that's me. I'm wanting to go to sleep. I, I'm sorry, guys, you're in my house. I'm sorry, but I'm going to sleep, you know. Um, there are, if you look up on the website, there's a... a um, Website with a handout that I give to my patients called 11 Rules of Sleep Hygiene. If you're having trouble sleeping, go look at that list. It's amazing how many of we don't keep. Um, but I now have an inboard rule, that a law, that says I have to go to sleep. And that is something that is internal to me, and that is a, a positive thing from my perspective. It's not a negative. So anyway... So, that is these laws. Now, 
thinking of this law, these negative and, and, and positive, they're both proscriptive. I started out with them at a period of my life being prohibited from doing certain things because I didn't know better, etc., or as you said, immature. And now I'm at a different phase in my life and I have other rules that are part of my life. Some rules that we have in our lives are not necessarily good. Just because you're old and have a rule doesn't mean it's good. So what's the difference between the ceremonial law that Moses gave and the civic laws that Moses gave? I want to ask you, I'm going to to give you some laws and I want you to tell me, is it ceremonial or is it civic? The law on divorce, ceremonial or civic? Civic. Civic. How about... Leveret marriage. What kind of marriage? Okay, that's where if you got married, the man dies, his brother has to marry her to have progeny in his brother's name. Okay? So it's called leveret marriage. Is it a ceremonial law or a civic law? It was given by Moses. Civic. Okay? The rules on sexual relations, are those ceremonial or civic? Civic. 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 How about the rules on the feast, Passover, booths, first fruits? Ceremonial. Ceremonial. The rule on sacrifices, sin offering, purification, dedication, thank offerings. Sorry? Ceremonial. Ceremonial. Okay. All right. Um, I'd now like to think about, yes. Just really quickly define civic and ceremonial. Okay, civic in my understanding is what is good for society, okay? How does society work, okay? Whereas ceremonial is for religious purposes or for purposes of pointing toward a, a theological lesson. So you think the laws about... Sexual relations were just civic? I think they were just civic. Should I have some of those in my psyche because I am religious and following God's way or whatever? Yes. But, and I think in that regard, they were added because we had to have them because we were not behaving civically to our fellow beings before we had those or whatever. Yes. The whole example in Hosea taking the prostitute and Jesus giving himself as the bridegroom for the bride, I mean, those are all about sexual purity. Those are all good illustrations, but that was... and it, I think it speaks to who Christ is and God is, okay? But if you're talking about ceremonial versus civic, and the reason I want to bring up those is at when did they end and why? Okay? Do we still abide by leveret marriage? So, oh, I'm sorry? No. Why? Different society. Different society. Okay? 
Okay, I'd like to, to speak about something I know very little about right now, and that is some physical or mathematical laws. Okay, we already talked about my ignorance of math and whatnot. Newton's laws of motion. Okay? There's first law, second law, third law. First law, when, when viewed in an inertial reference frame, an object either remains at rest or continues to move at a constant velocity and acted upon by external force. That's his first law. Okay? Law number two. The vector sum of the forces on an object is equal to the mass of that object multiplied by the acceleration vector of the object. I don't know how many of you got that, but I won't read it three times. Okay? Third law. When one body exerts a force on a second body, the second body simultaneously exerts a force equal in magnitude and opposite in direction on the first body. Okay, that's the first three laws. And then the law of gravity. Newton's law of universal gravitation states that any two bodies in the universe attract each other with a force that is directly proportional to the product of their masses and inversely proportional to the square of the distance between them. Those laws were given in July the 5th, 1687. Okay? I'd like to ask a few questions about Newton's laws, these four laws. Okay? Are Newton's laws enacted or natural? Natural. 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 When did they become laws? Mm-hmm. They've always been. I'm sorry? They've always been. When were they recognized or when were they... Okay. Newton first published his laws of motion in 1687. Is that when they first became effective? No. Okay. What is the benefit if that is not when they were, went to effect? That's just when they were made known. <coughs> they were, they'd always been, but that's when people recognized what they were. It gives us the capacity to understand the way things are. Is July 5th, 1687, when these laws were first enforced? No. Who is enforcing these laws? Nature. Nature, natural consequences. Okay. I would like to say that that, in my mind, is a large part of God's law, with the exception of ceremonial and some civic laws, how they're worked out, okay? So just because God gave them a rule or a law to live by does not mean it was the best for them, okay? Divorce. Divorce. Christ's statements on divorce on his Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, divorce, you know, most of the things that were given in the Old Testament were not the best, except for the two main laws he talked about, love God and love your fellow men. Everything else was kind of second rate. Was it second rate because of who gave it? No. Was it second rate because of of how it was given? No. It was second rate because we couldn't do any better than that. Okay? All right. Um, It may have been second rate also because of the way it was applied. For example, there's there's another category of laws that Jesus refers to in John 8.17. He's talking with the Pharisees there in dialogue with him. 
And he says, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. So he's, and, it, and the, the uh, index notes take you back to Deuteronomy. Right. So when he says your law, he's talking about something other than what? God's law. Other than God's law. But God's law, gave, God gave him that rule, and why did he give him that rule? Because they needed it. Because if he didn't, anyone could say to anyone else, you're wrong, you need to be killed, and gone. So at least he had to have two guys agree, you know? That's a pretty sad statement that it took. They had to give a rule that said two of you have to agree before you can kill somebody. You know? And I think that goes back to the very beginning where we were talking about earlier. Were they smarter than we are? Yes. But did Cain grasp that it wasn't a good thing to kill? No. I think, though, that we have so ingrained into our, our, our ideology about evolution that we think it's getting better and better. And I, th- I think it's de- devolution, okay, in that it's taken more and more laws to be, infor- to be explained because we are getting so bad at comprehending who God is. It's not because we're getting better and better, and now I can comprehend it and those poor Israelites couldn't. It was that it's getting so, so difficult for us to comprehend who God is that we needed a lot more than they did. Okay? I think I'm ready to start Sabbath school, <laughs> Sabbath afternoon. It's in the first paragraph of Sabbath afternoon's lesson. It, um, it says, Jesus spoke out against abuses of religion, but not against religion itself. Why is this true? Is there any scriptural support for your belief that Jesus spoke out about against the abuses of religion, but not against religion itself? Do you have any scripture that comes to your mind? How about John 4.22? You don't know what you're Worshipping, we Jews know what we're worshipping because salvation comes from the Jews. That sounds like a very bigoted statement sometimes. You know, Matthew 16, 6, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Or Matthew 23, 1 through 12, do what they say, but don't do what they do. If Christ knew what the Pharisees and Jewish leaders were like, why would he say to do what they say? Matthew 23, 3. How is the position of the people different in Christ's day from the position today with our church leaders? Are we supposed to do what they say? Okay. What was Christ commanding us to do? In Romans 13, it says, be subject to the authorities. It goes on and talks about, and you realize authorities are talking about someone who has a sword to kill you. And I don't think there's any current religious leaders in our religion that have swords to kill us. Or to, you know, things, obviously this was the, the civic authorities. Um, but Christ was described in Isaiah, and then again it was repeated in the New Testament about a smoldering wick he would not put out. Of his voice is not heard in the street. He wasn't contentious. I'd like to read you two statements from a, uh, one of the founders of our church. 
Um, Spirit of Prophecy 201.1. The malice of the Jews was so great in consequence of the miracle of healing the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath that he and his disciples withdrew to a more favorable field of labor. They went to the seaside of Galilee, and great multitudes followed him, for this new miracle wrought upon the Sabbath day was noised abroad through all that region. It's interesting. He withdrew. Another statement. The news that had been carried to John concerning the success of Jesus was, okay, Jesus started to increase, John started to decrease, and his disciples got in these arguments. The news that had been carried to John concerning the success of Jesus was also born to Jerusalem, and there created against him jealousy, envy, and hatred. Jesus knew the hard hearts and darkened minds of the Pharisees, and they would spare no pains to create a division between his own disciples and those of John that would greatly injure the work. So he, Christ, quietly ceased to baptize and withdrew to Galilee. He knew the storm was gathering upon was soon to sweep away the noblest prophet God had ever given to the world. He wished to avoid all division of feeling in the great work before him, and for the time, removed from that region for the purpose of allaying all excitement detrimental to the cause of God. Incredible. Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the God, withdrew himself somewhere else, rather than to cause division. I don't think I'm there yet. You know? Um, there's another statement, and I've, I looked for it, but I couldn't find it quickly, that says that when Christ and Lucifer were in heaven, and Lucifer created trouble, Christ withdrew to a far part of the universe so as to not create further difficulties. That is incredible. Do you think Christ was withdrawing there so as not to cause division, period, or so as not to cause division at that time because he eventually did cause a serious division? I think he withdrew, period, to not cause division, I don't think Christ is part of division. I don't think Christ is part of, even when it's for a good cause, I don't think he's, he's part of that. But he spoke about that when he said, I didn't come. Right, right. He, he, he spoke about that, and, and I think it's inevitable that division will come. And he spoke, he said, it's inevitable that this, these things will come, but... Put them off as long as you can. Well, what was the statement? Um, th- these are inevitable to come, but but um, it, it's sad to, th- to the person who brings them on or something like that. Um, so I think that um, he's never a part of division, if it can be avoided. I think it's amazing that Christ was the source of the law of Moses, and yet he also was subject to the law of Moses as a human being. But he made such strong statements against the Pharisees. Yes, he did. But, you know, again, I like uh, Mrs. White's statements about this. He had tears in his voice. If we can imagine all those statements being made with tears in your voice, the only, th- only time I'm having difficulty bringing those two things together 
is when he cleansed the temple. On those two occasions when he cleansed the temple. But, again, I'm, I'm borrowing on Mrs. White when I, when I say this, but the cord, the, the, the whip of cords was in his hand, but never raised to strike an individual. When his presence was so powerful that they fled. And you also see that the little children came to him immediately afterward. If his character or his actions had been so violent, do you think little children would then come up to him to sit on his lap and listen to his stories? I don't think that's going to happen. Okay? So yes, he made some scathing remarks. For what purpose? To break into... He loved them just as much. He was trying to convert them just as much as anyone else that was coming to him. And he hated to lose them. And he spoke with passion that he did not want to lose them. Okay, the law of Moses is an explanation of the law of God or the law of love for humans. Angels have the law of God, but not the same parameters. They're not worried about adultery. They're not worried about honoring their parents. Okay? So, I think their law would look much different from our law. All right. Um, uh, so, the law of you know, clean and unclean means, where would you, would you put that under civic or ceremonial? I think it's ceremonial. Well, I think, it's, I think it is ceremonial to, to a large extent. But... There are certain things that I don't um, eat which mimic the unclean meats and whatnot the, because of what I know of health laws. Well, some, of, some of which were, are just recently understood. Well, I guess my, my deal is this. I mean, I've never had a pork chop. Mm-hmm. Right now, if you put a steak in front of me or pork chop, I would rather eat that pork chop because I think it's healthier than the risk of mad cow disease right. you don't kill from cooking. How I many right. people get schistosomiasis these days from right. cooking pork? Right. But, you know, the point is, is that that is such a hot button issue, you know, amongst Adventists, you know, about how, you know, it's evil if you eat a piece of pepperoni pizza, you're going to burn in hell. And I, so that's why, I mean, is it ceremonial or is it civic? Yeah. civic? You're much better off eating a pork chop than a steak. You're better off eating neither, I would agree. Right. But the point is, right. how do you deal with that when you still have people that cling to, you know? I think when it was given, it was a better rule than maybe it is now. We talk about other rules that apply then that are, don't apply now. That's why I wonder if it's back to the civic or ceremonial, because it seems like maybe it was... I don't but, but, but the civic law of leveret marriage was a civic law. I don't think that was a ceremonial law. I think that was a way of taking care of widows. Okay? But we don't practice it now. We have other ways in our society of taking care of widows. We don't have to resort to leveret marriage. Okay? So, um, oh, brother. Uh, yeah, at the bottom of, oh, which day is this? Uh, Monday's lesson, it says, um, at the bottom section of, that, of Monday's lesson, um, though we no longer keep the feast, do you celebrate feast? 
Passover, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you know, any of those other feasts. I knew we had a Christian family next to us in North Carolina who did keep all those feasts because it reminded them of God, okay? Um, Why do we think they're done away with? Why do we no longer keep the feast in our church? In my pocket, I have a list of some laws that are still on the books. Okay? Oops. The, the, the local, okay, Montgomery, Alabama. Okay? There's a currently law on the books that says you cannot open an umbrella on the street. Why was that law brought out? Scare the horses. Scare the horses. Do we worry about scaring the horses now when we walk out into the street and I open my umbrella? No. no. The law is still there. We do not keep it. It does not apply. Okay? In South Carolina, every man must bring a rifle to church to ward off Indian attacks. <laughs> Currently on the books. Do we all have our rifles? You know. Does not apply. When approaching a four way or blind intersection in a non horse driven vehicle, you must stop 100 feet from the intersection and discharge a firearm into the air to warn the horse traffic. That is still on the books. So between the two of you, am I together that we need to call, uh, to understand that we need to call together a committee to review all of this stuff and see what's currently pertinent? I, I don't think there's a, a reason for a committee at all, because to me, it's, it's a non-issue. You know? If I truly want to follow God's way, and that means keep my brain as healthy as I can so I can commune with the, with the um, creator of the universe then I don't need to create a, a, a another set of rules. If you want to see something humorous, go online and look for I Wade. I Wade SDA. It's a sp- I Wade. I-W-A-D-E. It's a spoof. But it, it's very cute, and, and it makes fun of our um, self-made impositions about what we can and cannot do based on... Well, it was probably an originally a, a idea trying to keep someone in the spirit of the Sabbath or whatever. But anyway, but I think that's what really does need to be discussed because my my contention is how many people do do not listen to anything we have to say as a denomination yes. because they look at these things and they just think they're nuts. Exactly. But even it's based on tradition. We, we, if you read the little bit, little bit of this law, you just see how many things. It's like we just picked a couple of them out that we just. It's, it's like the foundation of who we are, and there's ones right next to it that most people have never even heard of. If you open the Bible and read that right now, I mean, do you bring after they give birth to a boy after a certain number of days versus a girl? I mean, yeah, I, I don't, under, I don't understand some of those things. Why was it forty days versus eighty days or whatever? And I don't understand some of those things, etc. But I understand that I live in a different culture, and so I think certain laws were brought for ceremonial or for civic reasons that I do not comprehend now. I truly don't, you know, and I don't think it, I need to comprehend them. They don't apply to me. 
I truly don't think they apply to me. But okay? what he's saying is maybe there's more that doesn't apply to us that we're making big issues out of. Well, if we're making a big issue of it, I think we need to go and talk to God about that and stop making a big issue of it. Because if Christ, you know, and like, um, oh, brother, that was part, it was part of my lesson, but I'll never get to it. Um, and... Um, Oh, okay. Where was it? It was in, um, in, um, Romans. Romans, no. Romans 8? No, it wasn't Romans 8. It was, um, 1 Corinthians 8, I think it is. I, I can't remember. Um, it's talking about eating food that was offered to idols. Okay? And how that Paul said, I will never eat another bite of meat if it causes my brother to stumble. Okay? How many of us are willing to do that? Now, I will have to admit that I saw that in my life. When I was in high school, my Bible teacher was Larry Stevens. Godly man. Don't know how many of you know him. But um, he was our youth pastor at our academy. He was the leader of our youth group and our um, outreach program and whatnot. And a young high school student came to him while I was, I think, a junior in high school and said, I've been reading Mrs. White's writings against milk and sugar, and I don't think you should be eating ice cream. And for the entire year, Larry Stevens never ate another bite of ice cream again because he felt that he was trying to support the younger brother in the faith. And he changed his lifestyle. Now, Larry Stevens, I think, loved ice cream almost as much as I do. And yet, he never again ate ice cream while Steve was in in school there. Is he still alive? Larry? I think so. Um, you know, and so I think, I think that is a level of Christian de- decorum and a Christian of love that Paul describes in when he's talking about meat. You know? And I think that we have yet to, um, to come to that. Yes. I think there's more than one aspect going on here, though, because out of a desire not to offend someone in a way, there is a goodness there, but there's also a problem, because someone I know very well always said, I will never do anything to offend anyone. That's impossible to do. (laughs) <laughs> that's the that's my point now is that um, any choice you make is probably going to offend someone but everyone has a different view so if you take in that situation it was a conservative stance on everything which is uh, I will never do anything to offend anyone but we don't have to say something to say it all the time in life. And 
whether it's a conservative standpoint, a liberal standpoint, or whatever, I think probably the difference here is demeanor that makes a difference of what I choose for myself because someone can take a conservative standpoint, they can take a liberal standpoint, and they can condemn others in their attitude without ever saying one word. And so if you say, I'm never, I would never do anything that would offend anyone, uh, you're basically saying, I know who I want to please, and I don't care about the rest of anybody else. That's what it basically says. Unless we truly have a Christ-like attitude that no matter what choice I make in life on any issue, take any of the issues we've been discussing, I make the choice for myself, but my demeanor and attitude and the way I live it clearly communicates that I do not condemn anyone who chooses differently than me. That's well said. But, you know, again, I don't know if Larry Stevens ate ice cream when he got home. You know, I mean, I don't know what was in his freezer or whatever. I mean, I was a student and he was a faculty and whatever, etc. Um, once Steve was gone from that school, Larry went back and had ice cream socials for the kids. Okay? So... I, I I think that um, we we need to be careful about what we do. Yes, we we can offend in, no matter what, you know. Um, last week, um, I did something that probably would be condemned by many members of our church, but because it was done in the sake of getting someone out of the ditch, who cares? Okay. On Friday's lesson, I'd like to close with this. It says, dwell on the incredible truth that though Jesus instituted these laws, when he enters into humanity, he places himself under them. What does this tell us about the character of God? And I was going to say, is it possible for anyone not to be under the law of God? If the law is the design template for the universe, then it's not possible to live outside the law without some sort of life support. So the fact that Christ was under the law means that he was truly human. And for the creator of the universe to become a human, to me, is just the most incomprehensible thing and the thing that tells us how much he loves us. Let's bow our heads. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of, of studying your word. We thank you for the laws that you have given to us to shepherd us, and to help us know who you truly are. May we honor you. May we know how to outreach to others who don't know you. And may we know how to be your, your workers for your kingdom on this world. May truly your kingdom come in this world as it is in heaven. Amen.